Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have got such an inspirational guest today. I am very, very excited about here. And our topic is going to be grief and repairing your rainbows. And we're going to have somebody come on who's done a lot of rainbow repairing. So how do you want to introduce our guest? I would love to, Mom. I was just saying before the show, this, this woman, our guest today, is absolutely remarkable. And you'll find out why in a minute. Her name is Linda Fishman. And Linda is the author of Repairing Rainbows. When she was just 13 years old, her mother and both of her sisters were killed in a plane crash. So that's two sisters and a mom that all died, mom, at the exact same time. And okay. it was so devastating that her father fell into a deep depression, essentially leaving Linda at 13 to wow. fend for herself. And as you know, in the because we wrote a book about teen grief and called Teen Grief Relief, teenage years are the hardest time to lose somebody. And here, Linda's entire family almost was wiped out. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, so even though all of this happened, Linda somehow found within herself, and she's going to tell us how she did it today, to not only survive, but to thrive. And she today is a clinical social worker, a grief therapist, a summer camp director, a college professor, and an inspirational speaker. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Linda. I was touched right just now because I, when I read your story, I, I take little notes and things, and, and I wrote down, uh, I can't imagine the level of loss. I cannot even begin to imagine that level. And I noticed you wiped a little tear from your eye. Sorry. <laughs> and what I, I think it's important for people to see that you did wipe a tear from your eye because we never lose touch with them. Because who would want to? Who would not want to find that little space where you remember them? Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many years have gone by. The tears come sometimes completely, I don't know what triggers them, but sometimes they just flow and, you know, um, grief so, never ends. So, so Linda, take us back a little bit. So you're, you're 13 years old. Your mom and sisters are on a small plane or what? I mean, oh no, it was Air Canada plane. It was a commercial plane. 109 people died and the cause was pilot error. Wow. And how old were your sisters at the time? Eight and 11. Eight and 11. So they're your little sisters. Yeah. And your mom. And they, the plane crashes and you and your dad and who else is in your family? Who survived? Who's, you weren't in the plane, were you? Me and my dad. No, there were no survivors. Okay. Um, my dad, I was already in California. My mother and sisters were coming to California. It was for a big family celebration. And my dad was scheduled to come the week later. Wow. Incredible. I think watching my father, who just never was able to pick himself up and had, there was no support available. There was no therapy available. We were really on an island of grief alone, just the two of us. So seeing the way my father was handling this terrible tragedy was um, almost a motivator for me to not succumb to such a, a terrible state of ongoing grief. And so for those first few years, until I met my current husband, um, I would say that my father was the person who inspired me most to find a way to be happy again. 
coupled with the fact that I had spent the first 13 years in an amazing family with a mother who was involved in all kinds of charity events and she had a zest for life and she raised us, me and my two sisters, to be happy and healthy and to strive for happiness and, and to do things for others. So I would say that foundation was incredibly helpful in motivating me to search for happiness again. Watching my father in a profound state of grief was something I knew I didn't want. And then I met my husband when we were 17 and he had also gone through some terrible tragedy. And rather than have a pity party together, we encouraged each other and decided that we were going to create a happy life together. And we're coming up to our 40th anniversary in June. Wow. So I would say that would be the answer to that question. I knew that I had to take all of these life lessons that I had learned from 13 until the time when I was gonna be starting university and use them in a meaningful way. And social work seemed like the most logical thing to do. So I, I chose that field and I was really fortunate in my career because I not only had a clinical social work background, but I became a summer camp director for a very large day camp in Toronto, which allowed me to use all of those skills, but in a much happier uh, location rather than in a sad hospital or a place where I knew I would have a hard time coping. I needed a, I needed a place with a lot of positive energy. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, now tell me this. Didn't you have people who told you that you should not go into those kinds of areas that were shocked about your life? Don't forget that back in the 70s, people didn't talk about tragedy. So most people who knew me had no idea what I had been through. I didn't tell people. As soon as, almost immediately after the plane crash, my mother's and sister's belongings were taken out of our house. It was like they vanished and they had never existed and nobody talked about them. We weren't allowed to put pictures up. It was very different. So people didn't know what I had been through. And my immediate family, you know, people in my inner circle were happy that I had chosen a career where I was going to help others and make a difference. This first happened. I know you said no one talked about it. Did anyone ever give you messages of you needed to be strong for your father? Or was that not really so? Oh, that was the only message. You need to be strong. Get back on your feet. Yeah. Don't talk about them. Don't okay. grieve. Don't, don't put pictures up. Don't yeah. do any of that because that would be terrible and it would make everybody so uncomfortable. Just be strong. Be strong. The pressure yeah. to be strong. That's a heavy burden. Huge For, burden. I mean, a 13-year-old that's, that's lost her sisters and her mom to get them And out. my dad. And your dad. Yeah, you lost the life that you knew. Absolutely. That's, that's what's so incredible about this story. So I love it. We're looking at how you did it. Show us a picture of your book. Did you have a picture of your mom and sisters for us to see too? I do. I do. This uh, is my book, Repairing Rainbows. Beautiful. And this doll on the front of the book was my sister Wendy's doll. And it was one of the only things identifiable at the, at the crash site. And the morning after the plane crash, this was on the front page of the Montreal star or the montreal gazette whatever papers were around at that time so you can only imagine when we opened the front door and this stall was at the on the front of the newspaper we were already everyone was already so devastated so i thought it was really appropriate to use on the cover right love that and this is my mother she was 39 years old at the time her name was rita hi rita uh lovely love it i love that you're showing her 
And these are my sisters. This is Carla. She was 11. And this one's Wendy. She was eight. Beautiful. Wow. Incredible. So those are pictures that you now have out up and you now have in your house. I do. On display. I, I love, love it. Finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's going to be another thing for everyone to watch this show. It's never too late. Yes, absolutely. Never too late. Well, let's talk about some of the things I know you've got in your book. And I, I want to talk about the eight happiness choices because I think people, it's so key to, I, I think those are the pivotal things that you've chosen, right? They are. One of the things that I did, which I now realize was my distraction and my way of avoiding doing the grief work was to keep busy. Keeping busy was my life jacket. Um, I still think that it's important to keep busy and to have a reason to get out of bed every day. But I also think you have to find a way to balance your busyness with allowing some time to do the grief work that is so important to do. And instead, I just kept extremely busy and distracted because that was the only way I knew how to get through every single day. Um, any idle time became dangerous for me because that was when I started to go into a dark place and I didn't know how to be in that dark place. There was no therapy available. There was no support available. And like I said earlier, nobody wanted to talk to me about my mother and sisters. So getting into a dark place all by myself was terrifying. So I kept extremely busy with volunteer work and everything I possibly could do so that I wouldn't have to do the tough work. Well, that's why you've accomplished so much. That's <laughs> right. Because I'm going on and on about your accomplishments. So it was out of the need to keep busy, like you said, and not, right. and just imagining a 13 year old going into a dark place without support. Like you said, you knew that you knew enough to know you didn't want to do that. So one of oh. your things was choosing to help others, which you did. And I love your one, uh, choosing to be surrounded by positive, optimistic, happy people. Talk about the importance of that. Well, I really do believe that misery loves company. And I know there are a lot of people who've gone through terrible tragedies and they are so dark and down and in that place of grief, which was where my father was. And they seem to be stuck there, which was exactly what my father was doing. And I can't be around people who have no, who, who see no light at the end of the tunnel, who refuse to find solutions for anything, who refuse to ever be positive. And I do believe that those people try to pull other people down with them. And while I have my heart breaks for people who are in such a bad place, I can't spend time around them unless it's in a therapeutic type I of way. I was going to say, unless it's helping others, because you, right. uh, you do go with them. And I see that at Compassionate Friends, the groups that are there. People, people I will go after all these years to help people that are there. So, uh, and people sometimes are pretty early in their grief that will come and will, you know, set up the chairs or bring a cookie or, you know, I think the, the thing is, are you moving out and helping or are, you know, but there's a time when you do have to have to just be there for yourself. Well, let's talk about um, gratitude because that's a big one, Heidi and I always talk about. That's a brain changer, right, Heidi? Absolutely, yes, because, you know, whatever you focus on grows. As Linda knows, so if you focus on all the, the, you know, what you don't have, which Linda lost so much, you know, that's, it feels like devastating. So I love that you, you were, you know, looking at gratitude and early on, what did that look like? It must've been hard to kind of 
figure out what you were grateful for. It was really hard, and yet I have incredibly vivid memories of doing gratitude exercises completely within my own head because we weren't allowed to talk about any of this. But I remember thinking about all the people who lived on my street, we lived on a small street in the suburbs of Montreal. And I remember going from house to house and trying to find something that had happened to them as well, so that I could feel grateful that, you know, yes, I had a tragedy, but so did everyone else. Like I searched for reasons to be grateful. Um, it was tough, believe me, but I also used to volunteer at a hospital with children who were hooked up to IVs and they were bald and they were so sick. And here I was 13, 14, 15 years old going there multiple times a week to volunteer because I felt lucky that I was healthy and that really helped me get through those years. I love that you did this as a kid. And you know, the research shows you, you did exactly what the research is showing. And the research is showing that when we get into bad spaces, we need to compare ourselves to people that have it worse. And that's what you did. I know that sounds strange and it sounds like callous, but that's what has to happen. Because you know what happens. If you compare yourself to somebody that's never had any, any adversity, it makes, us feel, it makes you feel and me feel and all of us feel worse. Right. I love that you did that. You compared downward. That's what they call it, comparing downward. Right. And, uh, I intuitively knew that I needed to do that. It was well, amazing. I must say, thank God for Rita, your mother, doing all her volunteer work yeah. because you yeah. knew how to do it. Yeah. And you, and you said that. And people don't realize that you can. You don't have to wait to be selected. You can go to a hospital. You can go to a shelter. You can go there and say, I'm here. Can, uh, can I help? And, yeah. and they will give you a job. You don't, you don't have to wait. They're looking for people. Yeah, they so, have volunteer departments at hospitals. Yeah. Oh, and I was so proud of my candy striper outfit. And I thought that <laughs> what I was doing was so meaningful. It really took my mind off my own problems. I looked at them and thought, okay, I, I don't have it so bad. Also, I'm thinking, Linda, one of the pluses, this is uh, one of the things that happens to us after great adversity and loss is that we are not afraid to be around people that have had great adversity and loss. So going into hospitals and being with people that are sick isn't scary. You know, you can do it because you know what it's like to be in those spaces, you know, of pain. However, yeah. after I had children, uh, the reverse happened to me because, uh, you know, after you've been through a terrible tragedy, you're, you tend to look over your shoulder to see what's coming next. And I was terrified of any adversity and I was terrified of what was going to come next and take away my happiness. So it took me a long time to work through the fact that I can be helpful to people who are going through a tough time without taking it so personally and worrying that I'm next. I love that. And, and I think maybe that has to do with uh, another one of your happiness things, which is choose to look ahead and don't look back. Right. I'm That's sure you had to do that. With, with the kids. And how about uh, choose to have faith and patience? I often said to myself during tough times, is certainly during those first few years, just have faith that somehow you'll get through this and have patience. And again, those were lessons taught to me by my mother. And when I address young mothers now in audiences, I often remind them that what they are teaching their children in those first 10, 15 years have way more of an impact than they realize. I love that. Well, let's end with your eighth, which is choose positive thoughts. Choose positive thoughts. I always tell people that we get to choose our thoughts. And even though 
a negative thought may enter your mind, you get to change that thought and replace it with something positive. And I give so many examples of how I chose positive thoughts throughout these terrible years um, in replacement for those scary negative thoughts. And it works. Uh, well, Linda, thank you so much for being on the show today. Show us your book again and tell us where people can get it. And you've got a website and you will come in and be a public speaker and uh, give us that information. Repairing Rainbows is available online. My website is repairingrainbows.com. And I'm happy to speak at charity events or any, any occasions where people are looking for a speaker to inspire those who are faced with any kind of loss or grief. Uh, well, thank you so much, Linda. You're a tremendous inspiration. It's been wonderful having you on today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Linda. And I agree with your, my, my mom. You are an inspiration. And uh, if you can find hope, everybody out there can. So thank you for telling your story and for being an inspirational speaker and for getting out there and changing the world. Thank you so much. And it's been a great show talking about grief and repairing rainbows. And please tell everybody about the show and let them know about all these wonderful tips that they can get. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. 